Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, all advancing. We've got 13 minutes to go ahead of the close. The S&P 500 index, very close to a record. Dow Industrials up three points now at 18,532, a gain of less than 0.1%. S&P 500 index also advancing by less than uh, one-tenth of 1%. Right now up a point at 2181. The NASDAQ Composite Index up 12 to 52.25, a gain of two-tenths of 1%. Gold up 5.70 the ounce to 13.42, a gain of four-tenths of 1%. The 10-year up 16.30 seconds, yield there 1.53%. And crude oil, West Texas, intermediate crude down 8-tenths of 1%, falling 34 cents a barrel, 42.68 right now on West Texas, intermediate crude. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Value investing versus growth investing. Some of those growth stocks we know, such as Alphabet, Facebook, Amazon, and Netflix, well, that was maybe last year's story. Here to tell us about what might be this year's story and value is Scott Collier. He is the chief executive officer and the chief investment officer of Advisors Asset Management, helping to manage more than $16.5 billion of customer assets. Scott, thank you very much for being with us. How do you define a value investor? I think a value investor looks uh, for... Um, intrinsic value or more historical value and, and tries to, to um, spot um, asset classes that might be out of favor, but, but there is some sort of a catalyst that might bring them back in favor. They're, the, you know, the, the, the value investor that got uh, stuck buying buggy whips uh, waited a long time because there was really never a catalyst to uh, to bring those back. So I think what we look for is is we look for not only value as in the asset is cheap, but is there a catalyst that would bring it back into vogue? I thought you were going to tell me it's being unpopular because being a value <laughs> investor has been unpopular for quite a while. They have, but sometimes you don't want to admit that about yourself. So it may be unpopular, but, but I tried to define it in a nicer way. Well done. Tell us about defining some of the areas that value investors ought to look for for returns. Well, I think some of the places where where we would we would spot value today would you know in the U.S. markets we continue to look at um, you know energy and materials even though they've had a good first half of the year uh, we would submit that after a a very long bull or excuse me bear market especially for materials being about four years in length generally those trends take a long time to play out to the upside just like they do the downside. We think that there's a a, um, a, a global growth uh, cycle that's just beginning, and quite frankly, there's been no new uh, deposits of this stuff uh, found over the last few years because, quite frankly, it hasn't you know been profitable to drill or dig for them. So I you know we we continue to like those. We we've seen the catalyst begin to bring prices up, but we think there's a long way to go there. On a more global basis, I think places that right now are are hated the most, maybe like Europe, uh, and 
England, uh, even in the Brexit uh, vote, as well as Asia. We think those are areas that provide a lot better value than we find in many of the, uh, the you know, the U.S.-based companies. And we would suggest that there's catalyst there in the fact that there's huge amounts of liquidity available at historically low prices and generally governments that are trying to be quite supportive of economic growth. I'm wondering if you could just expand a little bit on the concept of intrinsic value, because if you buy a stock, it is possible, you always run the risk, that the company could go out of business and you'd be left with nothing. But in the case of an asset such as a barrel of oil or a bar of gold, you still have that physical asset. Does that change the way you look at the investment? Well, I think it changes the way you look at it uh, at at the very fundamental base in that um, I'm not sure what you do with a barrel of oil. I'm not really sure what you do with a bar of gold, but folks that mine them and folks that drill for them basically bring them up to the surface and sell them, hopefully, at a profit. So at the end of the day, you, you can buy gold as a currency replacement, or you can buy a gold miner that potentially has an enterprise that would throw off profits and, and p- potentially have some growth. I, I'm not a big fan of trying to to uh, play the commodity itself because, quite frankly, um, there, there's, a, there's a number of things that can happen to the commodity that uh, you would have no control over whatsoever, even though you can buy gold coins and stick them in your mattress, and hopefully, unless you're robbed, they'll still be there tomorrow. I think the way that we look at it is, after you've gone through a prolonged time period when depleting assets have not been replaced, such as oil, uh, gold, iron ore, and you have demand that is rising for those, which we currently do have, then the scarcity value, it, the price of that has to rise to the point of where people will go out and, and try to find more. So once again, it's, it's really a traditional cycle pin. It's not something that's, you know, that's popular right now. These are long dated commodity cycles and they've happened, uh, you know, over the, over the years and decades before. It's not really anything new. Well, you mentioned that word popular again, and I just want to pick up on that because sometimes it's difficult to invest in things that are unpopular. But in your experience, is that where real money is made? Well, speaking for me personally, I think that's where real money is made. I, Quite frankly, I, I don't have the ability to understand some of the valuations that might surround things that are that, that are popular but have no history to them. I do understand what happens when you have economic cycles and when you have a building cycle or a car buying cycle. Those things tend to happen over and over. So at least speaking for myself, that that is the part of the, uh, you know, the investment spectrum that we choose to, to exist in. So I think we can make money here. I'm not sure that I could make money elsewhere, but, but we make money in, in, in this fashion. What don't you like, Scott? Well, I think I, I don't like things that are defensive and expensive, right? And so if you take a look at both of those, um, you know, long-dated sovereign debt would be right at the top of my mind. Anytime that you have a historically high demand for an asset class where the expected returns are the lowest on record, I think we normally call that a bubble, and I'm not trying to say we're in a bond bubble. I'm just saying that historically we're places we've never been before with negative yields, and generally speaking, capital does not 
sit comfortably in a place where it is going to be destroyed, even if it's just uh, little by little over time. The second place uh, are more defensive areas, and we've seen kind of a run-up uh, at, at the last half of uh, 2015, or first half of this year, in utilities and uh, consumer staples. So, you know, soap makers and, uh, you know, soft drink makers, I think that those valuations on a historical basis are stretched to their highest. So I think I would want to, I, I would want to be turning down or decreasing my allocation to those areas and try to increase allocations to uh, not only uh, materials, energy, but also industrials. Input costs are, are down. Uh, the consumer discretionary, uh, which had, they've had a hard time uh, over the past 12 months, but uh, I think we're beginning to see a turn in that we got a very healthy consumer. Once they decide to start buying a little bit more, I think it'll have a huge difference uh, in, in the price of the uh, consumer discretionary area. How about the price of emerging market assets? Well, emerging market, many of them, um, and if we, you know, we're talking maybe Eastern Europe, we're talking parts of Asia, mostly uh, Latin America, a lot of those countries, their fortunes are tied to what they produce. And since commodities have kind of bounced uh, you know, through the first six months of the year, we've seen emerging markets bounce as well. In, in, the, in the case of, of Latin America, we've seen a number of governments change. We've seen the government in Argentina changed to a very pro-business stance. We're seeing Brazil, uh, besides the Olympics, we're seeing uh, President Rousseff has been uh, impeached. Uh, she is out of office for six months while she's put on trial. But essentially, we're seeing that you know Brazil at the very end of a of a historically long um, bear market and a very brutal uh, recession that they've they've. Uh, uh, they're trying to overcome. I would expect them to come out with a much more pro-business attitude. Venezuela may collapse any day, but this is change for the better. This is not change for the worse. It's actually change for the better. We would argue it's at the end of a very long bear market. It's not at the beginning. We, w we would continue to put assets there. If you're looking for income, we think emerging market debt is, is in, in great shape. And I think if you can stand the, the volatility, emerging market equities are just in the very first innings of their bull market where one might argue that the United States is in maybe the latter uh, number of innings in our bull market. Scott Collier, he is the Chief Executive Officer and the Chief Investment Officer of Advisors Asset Management, helping to manage more than $16.5 billion of customer assets. He's staying away from what he describes as the defensive and expensive. We're going to take you through to the close on Wall Street. This is Taking Stock. I'm Pim Fox. This is Bloomberg.